Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to share. We invite, we ask for your Holy Spirit, and we claim your promise. You promise that if we ask that you will give your Spirit to us, you'll not give us sticks and stones. We're thankful for that. We believe, and uh, I know you'll be with us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> All righty, we're going to be dealing with... Uh, um, Liberty of conscience is based on justification by faith, and uh, <clears throat> and we're going to deal with today. This will be foundational. We're going to be dealing uh, primarily with Christ. We're going to deal with some other things that are involved in the Book of Revelation, but that's going to be primary. And then from that, we're going to see how the enemy is trying to uproot everything that, that belongs to Christ. And then we're going to get into America. Uh, possibly tomorrow. We may start with it today, but uh, we'll get into it uh, tomorrow. What God intended for America, and then what, what's going to happen. In fact, we see the sliding even going on now. But uh, we'll look at that, and we'll, we're going to talk about the Reformation. We'll touch on that today also, especially justification by faith and liberty of conscience. And that'll kind of lay the foundation for us for the rest of the week. Um, <clears throat> pardon me? Yeah, it's, it's, they, they did about 15 minutes ago. So, yeah. um, so today is about the revelation of Jesus. And it starts out in 1-1 of Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him. He didn't self-generate it. it. He received it from the Father, gave it to Gabriel, Gabriel gave it to John, John gave it to the churches, and that's how we get it. Um, but, and since this is the revelation of Jesus... Then it's about grace, about the cross of Christ, his faith, his righteousness, justification by faith, and liberty of conscience, as well as prophecy. And, but it starts out as the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the whole book is the unfolding of Christ and that which it opposes him. We're going to look at grace. Let's look at uh, <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 3, and then uh, the last chapter also. In fact, I'm, I'm at the last chapter now, so I think I'll, I'll read that one first. Uh, chapter, um, oh, whoops, I'm the wrong one. The Thessalonian, I thought, it, but it says the same thing. Interesting. Um, all right, let's go to chapter one. Chapter one, and I've got a new Bible, so I'm having, having trouble finding things, or turning the pages. In, um, in verse, you know, this is the first time, oh yeah, it's verse, well, verse 4 where he says, um, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the rulers over the kings of the earth. And then if we go to chapter, uh, the last chapter of the book, and the last verse, we have the same greeting, or the blessing of John, the blessing of the Holy Spirit um, to us. Does someone have it? I'm not quite there yet. I'm going to have to use my other Bible, my old one, I guess. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Okay. 
All right, so the book begins with the grace of Christ and it ends with the grace of Christ. So the entire book is a book of grace. Do you agree with that? Uh, here's a, this is a, a graphic that I put together. The book ends of grace. Begins with grace and ends with grace. And everything in between is showered with God's grace. And it keeps, that's what keeps it going. You have the seven churches at the beginning. You have the new earth at the, at the end. All of them should be because of God's grace. Uh, you have the seven seals. You've got the thousand years of God's people in heaven, all by grace. And uh, the enemy has an opportunity during those thousand years to create something out of chaos. He wants to be God, so God's giving him a chance to recreate the earth. <laughs> he's not going to be able to do it. <clears throat> we sit, sit here for a thousand years thinking what he's done. Then you have the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, and they're not the same. Uh, they're in two different frameworks. In the midst of that, you have three angels flying in the midst of heaven with the everlasting gospel and uh, the three, uh, first, second, and third angels there. But this whole, the whole book is uh, encompassed by God's grace. And then the third angel, we're told, is justification by faith. So you God's, God's grace that justifies, the faith of Christ justifies, and so it's all wrapped up in this uh, revelation of Jesus. Uh, but it begins and ends with grace, and uh, grace all the way through. This is a, um, a statement that Ellen White made in uh, 1890. 1890. Uh, <clears throat> Jones and Wagner had been preaching uh, Christ and his righteousness, justification by faith. And some people were asking the question, well, is justification by faith the third angel? They were taking the, the phrase, the faith of Jesus, saying this is justification by faith. It's Christ's faith that justifies. And that was a question that uh, was asked. Some were presenting the faith of Jesus as a doctrine, a, you know, a set of doctrines. Like Jude says, we defend, uh, defend the faith and that type of thing. But, uh, and so Ellen White uh, clarified, she said, several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. What does verity mean? It's in truth. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's certain, absolute certain. Yeah, okay. So now we want to go back. Now I want to go, touch on the Reformation. Luther and uh, his teaching of uh, justification by faith and liberty of conscience. Um, in, uh, he taught that liberty of conscience is the most important part of faith. And if you remember when he was at the Diet of Worms, in, uh, um, when, when he was on trial, he refused to give in to the demands of the powers that be for conscience sake. So it started out with conscience. He got away from that as time went on, but this is what he taught. Uh, this is a little bit later. He said, let there be no compulsion. I have been laboring for liberty of conscience. Liberty is the very essence of faith. And for many years he believed this until there was trouble in Germany with the, the there was a fanatic movement and uh, fanatical movement, and he turned against them and joined with the princes to put them down. And up until that point, in fact, he even talked to, to uh, one of the princes who wanted to protect him. He said, you don't need to protect me. I, my God, needs to protect you. So this is what he believed for many years. But then he, he, uh, he moved away from that. And to this very day, the church in Germany, and this talking primarily the Lutheran church, 
are supported by state taxes, or <laughs> uh, federal taxes. Everyone, that, including the Seventh-day Adventists, they're supporting the uh, Lutheran ministry uh, because of Luther not, uh, not holding fast to that. But he, he got uh, weak knees or something and, and turned from it. But he held on to it for, for those who believed as he did, uh, and many were doing that. But the same, same, way, same thing with Calvin and uh, some of the other reformers. They believed in liberty of conscience for themselves and for their own group, but not for, not for anyone else. Yes? Are all of the churches uh, in Germany supported by state taxes? No, I don't think all. No. no I don't think Adventists are, but uh, yeah, as far probably, as I know. Probably all the rest of them. Yeah, but well, Lutheran anyhow. Lutheran is the state church, and uh, so uh, and I don't know about the other ones. It might be a good thing to look up and see, but uh, my guess is it would just be the Lutheran church. Um, now, Mrs. White quoted Luther by way of Daubigny, who was the um, historian of that time, or later than that. But uh, she used that uh, phrase of Luther four times that uh, the essence of faith is liberty of conscience. And you find it in 1883, 1884, 1888, and 1911. And uh, so she's very supportive of the concept. Now, justification by faith and its fruit. Liberty of conscience is the fruit of justification by faith. And this is the very heart, the very core of the third angel's message. And when we're looking at the, don't agree? Um, when you're looking at the beast and the mark and the image, they're all designed against two things. One is justification by faith in Christ alone. The other is liberty of conscience. And they're trying to destroy both, or they will in the uh, end time scenario. Chapter 13, it talks about, especially with the beast and the image of the beast, this is dealing with demon worship this is what we will be faced with before this thing is over with. And so we need to know Christ. We need to be surrounded by his righteousness and it must be placed inside uh, so that we're, that we're purified by his, by his grace. Pardon me? Internally. Yes, internally as well as outwardly. And, uh, uh, but, so this justification by faith is foundational for all biblical doctrines. And some people, they, oh, how can you, how can you say that? But let's take the Sabbath, for instance. The Sabbath is a sign of righteousness by faith in Christ alone. Is it not? The whole Sabbath points to him. The blessing. Jesus says, come unto me and all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does not the rest of the Sabbath point to the rest we find in Jesus? Everything that we find find in the Sabbath, we find in Christ. You look through uh, uh, Genesis chapter 2 and um, Exodus chapter 20. You have, you have the blessing, you have sanctification, you have the separateness, all, all of these are found in Christ. The first, I, I was work, working in a, in a city that had, uh, I think there were three different kinds of Lutheran universities or colleges. And my head old elder had been a former Lutheran. And we were making no headway, headway with, uh, with the Lutherans. And he told me, he said, you're going to have to deal with the Sabbaths with the Lutherans before you shake them up, you know. And so I said, how in the world are we going to do it? We, I said, we just can't go in and, and, uh, and beat them over the head. And so I put together a little tract showing that creation and redemption are one in Christ. He's the creator, he's the redeemer. 
He created by the power of his word. He redeems by the power of his word. All the way through on this, I wrote this little fact. We went out the first time that we dealt with a, a young lady. Uh, she accepted Sabbath the first time. But it was, uh, it was because Christ was placed in, in the, or the Sabbath was placed in the, in the realm of redemption. In that city, uh, we had a friend of mine, we, and we called this uh, Redemption Sabbath. And he had contacted some students in one of the colleges. And they were so moved, they said, would you come and present this to other students? And he said, yes, I will. So we went, and uh, many professors came in and sat down, listening. And I don't know whether they come from debate or what, but they listened. By the time they got through, my friend got through with the presentation, those men got up one by one and walked out of the room without saying a single word. There was nothing they could say against the Sabbath. Not from the, not from the creation standpoint, but for redemption. You have to reject Jesus Christ as Savior in order to reject the Sabbath. And that's the way he presented it. And it was, it was powerful. And uh, it's, uh, um, that's the way it is. But anyhow, so justification by faith. Even the sanctuary. When you come into the sanctuary in the Old Testament, the first thing you see is the cross. Do we not? The altar of sacrifice. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where justification took place. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 says, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved by his life. And so you got that in the sanctuary. And then in the, in the uh, most holy place, and we'll look at that one a little bit later, in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 6, you have the lamb slain in the midst of the throne. And so you have the gospel of the cross in the second apartment, and that's what shines all the way to the, uh, the cross of Calvary, dealing with the, with the character, the very nature of God, of, of self-sacrificing love. And uh, so that's, uh, that's where that is too. But it's because these two are, are uh, inseparable, or justification uh, specifically, and liberty of conscience comes after that, it's, it's inseparable, to, inseparable to the death of Christ. I quoted uh, Romans 5, 9, but let's go to Revelation 1, 5 and, uh, and consider the beginning again of the book of Revelation and the, um, the message that was <clears throat> given to him and to us. Verse 5, he says, this is from uh, Jesus Christ. He's talking, again, we looked at grace earlier in the, uh, verse 4. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, from the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. <clears throat> now, there are some uh, manuscripts that if, if you have the, uh, oh, I think it's the, um, well, one is, if you ever heard of uh, Nestle's uh, number 27, it's, uh, there are manuscripts in that, and I, I've got some of it right here that, uh, um, and United, the United Bible Society uh, uses a couple words from different manuscripts, but it goes like this, he who loved us and washed us, or released us, or freed us from our sins in his own blood. And so this is, uh, this book of Revelation begins with this. And uh, <clears throat> justification by faith and liberty of conscience are inseparably joined together. To affirm, yes? Which comes first? Justification by faith. Before liberty of conscience. Has to, yes. Because the conscience is locked by the enemy. But they're still inseparable. Yes, as soon as you're justified, immediately your conscience is released. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's why the, the dismissal of sin. When I was born again, I had a great relief of sin left from it. Yeah. The burden of sin. Yeah. Christ. Yep. So what you're saying, I don't want to take your time. No, that's all right. No, that, this is a seminar. Um, so, yeah. so what you're, and so Luther tried to experience justification by works. That didn't work. And he finally experienced justification by faith, which enabled him to stand before the greatest powers of yes. the world and not be controlled by them. Yeah, he could not have been. So in order for us to stand up against the mark of beast, we must Absol experience justification by faith. Absolutely, yes. And yes. all the powers of the world against us. Absolutely. That is the one thing that God has given to us to protect us in the last days. If we do not know Christ and his justification, we will not make it through the times ahead. That's the, it, that's the seriousness of it. <clears throat> we'll, we'll see some of, more of it later. But to affirm either justification or uh, liberty of conscience is to affirm the other uh, because they go together. But also to, de to deny either justification by faith or, well, let's start with that. We've got it here. To deny justification by faith is to deny liberty of conscience. To deny liberty of conscience is to deny justification by faith. And this is what we have in chapter 13 of the book of Revelation. They're denying both. It's called to worship the, uh, uh, the Antichrist, which is actually devil worship is what it is. And the enemy has persuaded people that by believing in this system that you're worshiping God. Those who do not worship, and I've got, I've got some things here later, later on that I'll, I'll bring in. Uh, but if one is lost, either justification by faith or liberty of conscience, the other one falls with it. This is what happened in the early church by, say, 300, when uh, Constantine established the papacy in Rome. It was only the beginning, but they were moving away from justification by faith. They were moving away from liberty of conscience. And by 538, it was all gone. That's when the, the papacy was fully established, and it got worse from there. So, and the papacy had 1260 years of authority to demand people to follow them as they dictated the hierarchical uh, structure. The Reformation, and well, there were individuals that refused to go that route. The Waldenses, the Huguenots later on in France, but there were many of them who refused to go along with the party line, and many of them died because of it. But they knew Christ. They were, they were submerged in, in Christ. I've read of young women uh, <clears throat> would put on their, their um, they were not married, but they would come in like, like bridal gown, 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 gowns, right? <laughs> uh, would dress up, dress up and go to their death by being buried alive. But they were singing praises to God as they went. They knew Christ and nothing, uh, nothing bothered them. Uh, they, they knew that they would see Christ. They had, they had no doubt. That was, that was the... Yeah, as long as we're not distracted off and works of the law, which I had the problem when I came to the church. And, you know, I came from a Baptist background, which is, you know, just confess over and over. Yeah. But you're not getting the victory. So then what was presented to me as victory is that you have this information, you, you do this. So it was a lot of do do. I saw that right away that Christ had to perform this in me because if I did it, it was self righteous, it wasn't going to last anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, false 
uh, scenario gets justification by faith, which I didn't mm -hmm. understand somewhat. Yeah. So I resisted that and went the other direction, away from the lifestyle. Yeah. That was yeah. too far. But I, the whole idea is it balances. You have a sanctified will and you choose to lay this off because of Jesus. Yeah. Lay this down because of Jesus. And then you get to victory because mm -hmm. he gives that to you as a lifestyle. You saw it. Yeah, and it was a growth, a growth process. Yeah, but it, it's a growth process. A growth I, I'm going to share. I'm going to come off what you said. I I worked with several uh, non-Adventist pastors in my when I was pastoring, and I remember this one. I did, we just moved into a city, and uh, a I didn't really. Two men showed up in our door, and before I knew it, and I remember, I still don't know how they did it. <laughs> I had the door open just a crack. And before I knew it, both of them were standing in my front front room. <laughs> it was amazing. And he said, he said he wanted to know if I was saved. And I learned later, after he left and talked with other people, he said his great burden was to convert some of the Adventist preachers. And so he came in and uh, started asking me the, the standard questions, you know, of being saved. Are you saved? And I gave him all the evangelical answers. <laughs> and he was puzzled because he looked at me. He said, "But you're a Seventh Day Adventist." I said, yeah. And he was trying to move me away from the Sabbath. That was the one thing he was after, denounce the Sabbath. And I had a, I, I used this illustration of, of an imaginary mulberry bush. And he would chase me. I'd run. <laughs> I didn't want to argue with a guy over the Sabbath because I knew that's what he was after. And he, he'd go this way and then, and I'd go, or I'd go this way. And he, and he was always trying to cut me off. He couldn't do it. And I shared with him because I, I was not raised as a Seventh-day Adventist. I served time in prison. That's where I accepted Christ. And I shared that with him, showed some of the stuff that had happened to me. And he said, oh, yeah, you're converted. I believe you're saved. And I said, thank you. <laughs> but, and then he started in. Started in, we don't have to obey the law, that type of thing. So this went on for, I think, I don't know for sure, I lost track of time, but an hour to two hours. And he was constantly, and I said, now, wait a minute. I said, you believe I'm saved? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's something about that law you don't like. There must be one of those commandments you don't like. Which one is it? And I started with the 10th commandment. I said, are you guilty of coveting your neighbor's things? I said, or is the ninth one? Are you guilty of coveting your neighbor's wife? And I went on up and got to the seventh commandment. I said, are you unfaithful to your wife? Are you, are, is this the commandment that you, you despise? <laughs> this man, he changed color. <laughs> he was sitting in the couch. He, I think his feet went in the air. <laughs> he came down. His elder was sitting. He said, let's get out of here. <laughs> And out the door he went. But he admitted I was saved, but he could not understand that if you're saved, you uh, need to obey the commandments of God out of love. But you remember C.D. Brooks, his message on that. He ran into this uh, evangelical preacher and says, Oh, you can't keep the law anymore. And finally, yeah. C.D. Brooks said, Well, do you kill somebody? Of course I don't kill. Yeah. That's one you're keeping. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Now, the beast and his followers deny both liberty of conscience and justification by faith. This, is the, this will be the issue in the last days. And I think probably the outward issue will be liberty of conscience. Because of the pressures that are coming in by the devil, uh, disruption of, uh, of uh, nature, and people afraid, you know, we need to have laws in order to make people conform. And that fits right into the beast of the dark ages. They tried to force people into their, uh, their forms, and they did it by law. 
I w I'm not going to do today, just uh, maybe a teaser or something. Uh, <clears throat> I've been involved in religious liberty for se several years. I'm not directly involved in it now. But I've had two invitations to go to the Catholic bishops, United States bishops. It's the highest authority in the land um, other, under the uh, cardinals. But they're the ones that pull the strings. And they were dealing with liberty of conscience. And I was invited to that, and I went. And I'll share that another time. But <laughs> it was very interesting. I uh, went to two different cathedrals and uh, listened to them. But uh, we'll, uh, there, were, there were four of us sitting at a table, four Adventists, a man and his wife, myself, and Lincoln Steed. And uh, we listened to Dolan, Cardinal Dolan. He gave the opening address. But the four of us stuck out like sore thumbs. <laughs> Suits. Uh, dresses, you know, and these guys, and some really beautiful robes. I really liked uh, some of the robes I saw, but but, uh, uh, but anyhow, we will I'll get into that another time. Um, here, this goes back to 1932, uh, the Pope Gregory the 16th, and he condemned in his encyclical indifferentism and liberty of conscience. This is what he said: indifferent. Well, this is indifferentism means that a person can be saved outside the Catholic Church by profession of Jesus Christ, by accepting Christ by faith. And they do not like that. So this is what he had to say. From this poison source of indifferentism springs that false and absurd maxim, better termed the insanity, that liberty of conscience must be guaranteed for everyone. This is the most contagious of errors which prepares the way for that absolute and totally unrestrained liberty of opinions, which for the ruin of church and state is spreading everywhere, and which certain men, through an excess of impudence, do not fear to put forward as advantageous to religion. And I've got some other ones. I'm not going to share them today either, but this is directed specifically to the United States of America, the constitutional benefits that, we, that God has given to us. And, uh, and since, since Vatican II, uh, if you look at some of the documents in Vatican II, especially on human freedom, it looks like they've got the real thing. And many Protestants today believe that the Catholics have changed. Even some Catholics think they've changed. And, uh, but here's a man, uh, by the, he was a Davies, he was a man in England, a writer. He, he was always loyal to the Catholic Church. But when, that, when those documents came out, he said, something's amiss here. And so he wrote this book called The Second Vatican Council uh, and Religious Liberty. And I, I really got some good information out of this, especially in his, uh, uh, in his appendix. He listed all the popes that were <laughs> against freedom of conscience. And so I got, I, that's where I got some of the statements. I went to some of the original sources to get them. But, but he opposed the changes of Vatican II. He contends that the stand taken on religious liberty in the Vatican II document on religious liberty is not reconcilable with previous, previous papal teaching, which we just read one of them uh, by, uh, by that pope. And there were several of them in the, in the 1800s. The time the Seventh-day Adventist Church was forming up through uh, into the 1900s. They were totally against the United States. They still are. Um, we need to remember that she never changes. And this is from the Spirit of Prophecy. Let it be remembered, in the, it is the boast of Rome that she never changes. The principles of Gregory VII, now this was an earlier one, this, Gregory VII was the one who 
commanded the emperor of the empire to come and stand outside of a castle for three days in his bare feet in the wintertime. Amazing. And he said it was his business to pull down uh, kings and emperors and that type of thing, that the pope ruled over them. That was a major break for the papacy. They didn't, he didn't get everything at that time because that emperor came back and finally drove him out of Rome. <laughs> but that uh, Innocent III built on that, and, uh, and, and then you have the rest of the Dark Ages in that situation. Now, had she, but, had she had the power, she would put them in practice with as much vigor now as in past centuries. The very nature of this, oh, I guess I should have gone back here. That's from, I don't have the reference on that. I believe that's uh, Great Converse, where it's from. Should have, I don't know why I don't have the reference. But the nature of the third angel's message demands justification by faith and liberty of conscience in dealing with the beast, its mark, and the image. The very essence of sin in the Antichrist's power of self-glorification and human selfish achievement. The original sin of pride began in the heart of Lucifer. You're familiar with both Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. And uh, in, uh, in uh, just touch on this one, but I want to uh, look at Babylon, the selfishness, that selfish mindset that came from Lucifer. And, uh, and that's always been the trait of Babylon. And it's the dominant trait in human nature. That's your problem my problem, whether you want to admit it or not. Pure selfishness. It's only by the grace of God. It's only by justification by faith in Christ alone that we can be changed. What? I die daily. Yes. So it's the same yeah. that uh, branch of the vine, remember I told you there's some parts I didn't like of it. Yeah. But basically when I got out of there as a branch of the vine, it was kept 15 of John. So mm -hmm. that was great to find that out because I wasn't looking at it. Great to Baptist that yeah. self has to encourage today. Yeah. Christ from within you. Yeah. But it's the principle that permeates all false religions. It's the last day manifestation of the beast in his image. And here Satan is working to the utmost to make himself as God and to destroy all who oppose his power. And today the world is bowing before him. His power is received as the power of God. The prophecy of the revelation is being fulfilled that all the world wandered after the beast. That's from 16, page 14. It continues. They have accepted him as God and have become imbued with his spirit. This is spiritualism. Then she has this to say, but the cloud of judicial wrath hangs over them, containing the elements that destroyed Sodom. In his visions of things to come, the prophet John beheld this scene. This demon worship was revealed to him, and it seemed to him as if the whole world were standing on the brink of perdition. But as he looked with intense interest, he beheld the company of God's commandment-keeping people. They had upon their foreheads the seal of the living God, and he said, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In 60, page 15. So the message of justification by faith in the end time setting is essentially involved in the efforts of God's people to resist the Antichrist power. The one thing, and we'll, we'll try to get into some of this, the Council of Trent was organ, not organized, but it was the, the there were 
half a dozen Jesuits, two of them were outstanding scholars, and they were there to defeat the concept of justification by faith in Christ. And they did. When you read the, if you, if you read the uh, trans documents, those are Jesuit inspired documents. They persuaded all of the other people to go along with putting down the Protestant idea of justification and accepting the, the Catholic concept that they were developing. They hadn't fully developed even at that time. But uh, that, if you want to read the Jesuit theology, you'll find it there, especially on justification by faith. And we may get into that a little bit later. But the message of justification in the end time setting, uh, it, we must understand it. We must understand it better than Lutherans, better than Calvinists, better than evangelicals. We need to know Christ intimately so that whether we live or die, we'll give glory to him. It will not matter whether we live or die. Now, some of us gray beards are going to go into the grave before the Lord comes, <laughs> but some of us make it through. Make, will make it through. I had a, a friend of mine, he was, what, 94? He never thought he was going to die. He d never planned on it, but he's dead. <laughs> but he, he, never, he would not even think of it. He said, I'm going to see the Lord come. Well, he's going to see him anyhow, because in Revelation 14, 14, it says there's a blessing on those who die in the Lord henceforth in the context of those three angels' messages. So whether we live or die, we will see Christ come. Those who pass through the Underground Railroad uh, won't have to go through the great time of trouble. But, uh, but it, it's not going to matter. The, t the time of trouble will be, yes, it's going to be scary, but I'll tell you the greatest movement power of God is going to be seen in his people at that time. It's amazing. Uh, so I don't want to spend all my time on the, on the problems. Yes? No, I, I don't want to talk too much here, but I'm just thinking you quoted a pope a few minutes back from 1832 yeah. who was totally condemning uh, liberty of conscience. It looks as if what the papacy is all about is refusing people the right to think for themselves. Exactly. They are arrogating to themselves the preeminence that they are the only ones who have authority to think and define what is true. So yes. they become God. That's yes. they, they intercept God Exactly. And this is why the whole thing is all Yeah, the, uh, in fact, some of the popes have called themselves God. But what they call the keys of the kingdom, they said that when Christ established the Catholic Church, when he gave them the keys, he said, upon, your, upon this rock, and they said, Peter is the rock, that I build my church, rather than on Christ. And so whatever's loosed in heaven, whatever's loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Forgiveness of sins. You forgive sins on the earth, uh, they'll be forgiven in heaven. God has to follow what they do on the earth. And uh, this is this is uh, part of the danger of that people that that part. But if you take uh, children from the time they're born, because they're baptized within eight days after they're uh, born, and so they're trained all the way through to uh, to respect that authority. Uh, if you don't, you're going straight to hell. I mean, it just uh, it's a fear 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 tactic, or the hope of reward. And those two principles apply to everyone in the human race, and they will ap appeal to Protestants as well. And, uh, That's but, why we got to dwell upon the promises of God. Yes, the faith of Jesus is believing not only in the absence of feelings, but against them. And that's what's going to, what's going to shine in the, in the last days. Um, justification by faith is the very opposite of and opposes justification by achievement or by human works or merit or by Rome's sacramental graces. Because they believe it's through the sacraments that they receive grace 
justified, sanctified, and then justified. Purgatory is the end result of their concept of salvation. They say that, yes, Jesus paid for their sins, but there's temporal punishment that must be enacted. And if you don't go through enough suffering on this earth, you have to suffer in purgatory until you're completely cleansed. And Luther just said, no, that's not, not true. He turned, turned away from it. But it's still, it's still one, of the, uh, one of the main teachings of Rome today. So it's to the cross of Christ we must turn, right? <laughs> and uh, Romans 1.5, we already looked at that. That by his blood that we're cleansed, we're freed from, from sin, that type of thing. And then I want to go to chapter 5. And uh, <clears throat> this is a picture of the inner sanctum of the holy sanctuary in heaven. And uh, this, is the, this is where we see Christ crucified. It's the very center of the throne of God or the very government of God. And um, John saw this. By the way, how, how many times is, is the lamb mentioned in the book of Revelation? Anyone know? Yes, at, at, at least. 27. <laughs> 27, yes. A total, a total of 28. Yeah. Uh, It, start, it starts out well, lamb-like features. Yeah, that's the, yeah. But there are 20, 27 times you refer to, refer to Christ. Um, and when I get, pardon me? So in other words, the word lamb is mentioned for both the true Christ and the uh, apostle. Well, yeah, one time, one time. Revelation 13, 11, lamb-like uh, horns. <laughs> that's the other, yeah. But it had the characteristics of Christ. This was the origin of the United States. But it shifted, or is shifting, it's not there yet. But it's in, in the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, verse 5, uh, verse 6 rather, of chapter 5. He says, I looked and behold, in midst of the throne of the living creature, the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. So here in the center of the um, universe, in fact, I think this next one, um, 9 and 12 talk about that. 13, 8 says that uh, um, when it's contrasting the, the enemy, the Antichrist with Christ, everyone will worship this beast except those whose names are written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So that has, that's Christ again. Well, I was going to mention that, yeah, here, here's uh, uh, the metaphor of, uh, of the Lamb, used 27 times in Revelation. Four, only four times the rest of the New Testament. One of those times, John quoted uh, John the Baptist when he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world, in chapter 1 of John, in verse 29. But in this picture we have here of uh, the Lamb slain, you have the different features of these angels around the throne and then you have the 24 elders and the center of their focus and of the universe is on Christ and him crucified that lamb that was slain represents the cross of Calvary and when Christ came and died on Calvary that was simply a reflection of the government of God of self-sacrificing love God was willing to come and to die for a single individual. If we can wrap our minds around that, it's amazing. But that's the principle of his government. And that, those are the principles that he wants to embody within us. 
that we'd, we would even die for our enemies if we had to. Christ died not for his friends, but for his enemies. So the cross, the cloth of the cross is in the book of Revelation several times. And it's the idea that Christ wants to clothe us with his garments. And sometimes the word garments is in the plural. So it means there are two. <laughs> we must be clothed on, the in, clothed on the inside as well as the outside. The outside takes care of all the, the things that the enemy throws at us. And being clothed with his righteousness on the inside is battling our own selfishness. And so, but we need both. We need both. Yes, and it's, but, and it's the law of righteousness. Uh, um, Psalm is it 19, 172 says, all of thy commandments are righteousness. And this is how we can tell if we've we got the genuine article of right, the righteousness of God. It will be in harmony. It always brings us into harmony. Not in a legalistic manner, but we're going to love to obey God's law. I, before I was converted, I hated all law. It didn't matter if it was divine or human. I hated it. I just, I would not be controlled by any any law. And I got in trouble, <laughs> trouble for it. But I had, huh? I was a little bit like that, yeah. but the law when, in the heart is the law in Christ, and I was willing to yeah. I told that preacher that night, I said, you know, you, you admit that I've been converted, that I'm saved. And I said, I hate it. I, same thing I said here. I hated all law, divine or human. But I said, when God brought me into harmony with his divine law, it brought me into harmony with human law. And I said, I can look at a policeman today and thank God for his work because he had to control jokers like myself who would not control themselves. That's their purpose of the, of the law today. And, uh, uh, but when, we, when we, we come into harmony with God's holy law, we'll come into harmony with man's temporal law also. And uh, now in uh, uh, 318, that's, you're familiar with that, the message of Laodicea is, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. That gold is Christ's righteousness. The next one talks about his garment. Uh, that's his righteousness. And then the eye salve of the Holy Spirit that... Uh, that uh, see the difference. Eye salve so we can see the difference. Yeah, yeah. I want to look at chapter 12. This is uh, another of those passages that deals with the cross of Christ. And um, the, um, the sacrifice of Christ and dealing with us also. Thank God for that. Uh, 10 and 11, he says, I heard a strong, loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation has come and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. By the way, there's three casting downs of the devil. Cast out of heaven in the beginning, he could not go back into heaven. There's some people say, oh, he went to, Job says he went into heaven. It doesn't say heaven at all. Some were, some of, I think Haskell said that they were sitting outside the gates of heaven. May have been, I don't know. But Ellen White has some interesting statements in uh, Gospel Workers. She said the good angels have some kind of identification, a card that they, that they show at the gate, passing uh, back and forth. The devil was able, up until the cross, he was able to go to the gates of heaven and harass the angel, the good angels, until Calvary. When Calvary, and that's what this is talking about, and when Jesus said in uh, uh, Luke, he says, I saw uh, Lucifer fall, fall from heaven. And that, that was at the, at the, for the time of the cross. 
the third one will be he's going to be locked up for a thousand years and he's not he has he still has access to other worlds there's a tree of life and a tree of good and evil in, in every uh, every uh, every place where there's uh, where someone has intelligence but he's limited alone to the earth he cannot roam uh, this is his, his his world right right here during the thousand years but anyhow then verse 11 they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing he has but a short time. But they come, we're to overcome by the blood of Christ and by the testimony. <clears throat> Do you know what a Protestant is? Protest? Protest. Yeah. Yeah, well, we get that from uh, the Council of um, 1929. Um, can't remember. It's fire. Council of Spare. When the, when the, when the uh, princes resisted, they were trying to be being brought into harmony. Liberty of conscience was being thrown out. They had been given freedom in, in 1526. Three years later, the emperor was trying to take it back. And the a few of the princes stood up and said, no, they protested. And that's where we get it from. But the word itself is, comes from the, from the Latin, protestare. And the first part, pro, means to give, and testare means a testament or a witness. So you've got a negative and a positive to, for a Protestant. He protests that which is evil, but he testifies to the goodness of God. So that's the full, full meaning of a Protestant. Not just, not just protesting, but also a testimony, and so here we've got uh, people that are are claiming the blood of Christ and testifying uh, their own testimony that they've had. And then uh, we we mentioned Romans five nine before that it's by having been justified by His blood we shall be saved by His life. Thirteen eight is when uh, the Lamb, uh, Lamb's Book of Life, uh, Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. I want to go to chapter sixteen. This is an interesting one too. This will be the last battle, but it's the same as all the rest, but it's going to be intensified, but the glory of God is going to be greater than all that the enemy can do. Um, you need to remember that by this time, Michael has already stood up, and he stands for his people. But in chapter, chapter 16, there's going to be some other things going on. And uh, let's read from verse 12. Uh, let's see, yeah, probably. Uh, it says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl in the river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For these are the spirits of devils performing signs which go about to the kings of the earth, and of the whole world to gather them together for that great battle of the day of God Almighty. Now, I've got some pictures here I want to share with you. This is a picture of world peace by power. Number one is the dragon, which is spiritualism. Number two is the beast, the sea beast of chapter 13 is the Antichrist. And then you have the false prophet or the earth beast of chapter 11, beginning with, uh, chapter 13, beginning with verse 11. That's the image of the beast. 
And I got this, I think I got this from a fellow in, in Spain, if I remember correctly. Uh, here we have, verse 13, you have the frogs coming out of the mouths. So this is the picture that, that John saw. So they had mouths full of frogs. <laughs> and this is spiritualism. Now, we speak what's on our mind. So what we have is the, the mind of the devil being expressed here. Have you ever used the expression, I'm going to give so-and-so a piece of my mind? <laughs> the devil does the same thing. He controls the mind, and these people speak, uh, speak, speak uh, spiritualism, that type of thing. Yes. When I first came into church, Nathan Holly, I don't know if you ever heard of him. Uh, he yes. talked about his saying that the frogs were connected to tongue speaking also. It could be. And that was yeah. binding people together with spiritual. Yeah, but it is. It is spiritualism, whether it's in sure. tongues or not. Yeah, and uh, they and it goes back to Egypt. That's where they they used to worship the the, the frogs, and uh, so. But it's a threefold union, and it's an attempt to take the righteousness of Christ away from His people. Notice what Jesus said in verse fifteen: "Behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments." Lest they walk naked and they see his shame. The devil wants to tear from us Christ's righteousness. Is it possible for him to do it? Not choice. choice. Yes. If we're settled in Christ, there is nothing that can take us out of his hand. He said it, uh, he said it himself. You come to me, all that the Father has given me, I will never let go. In fact, there's a double negative. That I will never, never let go. Usually in English we have a... In fact, I may bring that in another time. But um, In English we have a double negative. It usually makes a positive of it. But in the Greek, there are two different words. Both of them, I will not ever, ever <laughs> uh, cast you away. It's a powerful, a powerful statement. But uh, anyhow, this is what... Uh, the devil cannot stand the righteousness of Christ. He cannot stand liberty of conscience. It just, and so it irks him. The, his supreme attack is on God's people in the last days for those two principles. You know, the Sabbath is part, but Sabbath is the outward uh, show of this whole, this whole thing. But the real, his real uh, attack is going to be on liberty of conscience. Yes? Uh, what could you tell us about the attitude of Lutheranism today for liberty of conscience? Liberty of conscience. Well, there they still talk about it. In fact, I don't have it in this this study, but um, they were concerned about some of the liberties that that the Church of Rome was was uh, saying that they they had guaranteed, and some of the Lutherans were concerned about that. But they have been mollified, or they've been they've accepted some of the stuff that the Catholic Church has said. The the Church, the liberal wing of Lutheranism, has accepted the Catholic concept of justification by faith. And so they'll come in harmony with, uh, with the other liberty of conscience. Um, and I would say that even apart from that, uh, it's many times harder to deal with a Lutheran than it is to a Catholic to bring them into Adventism because they're locked into that same system of hierarchy that the papacy is. They came out, they didn't come far enough. So there'll be no, no problem with that. Now, there'll be some, I'm sure, will take a stand. There are some now that are um, fighting against this, but they, they've already signed the paper that they've, uh, they've studied this for 25 years. Yes? 
Yeah, I've noticed in uh, probably the most Lutheran countries in the world are the Scandinavian yes. countries. Yes. And I have a quote from one of the bishops very decidedly against liberty of conscience. I told you. This arose in the context of same sex marriages. Oh, yes, yes. Where some pa pastors or priests of the Lutheran Church would not marry them. Hmm. And there were talk about there would be, they could uh, consult their consciences, and if it was against their conscience to do it, they could have that freedom. And in that context, one of the bishops said, What is this liberty of conscience? Amazing. We are all against it. <laughs> yes. And this is Years ago, uh -huh. and also in, in connection with the 500th anniversary of Lutheranism, mm -hmm. the, one of the main magazines in Germany, the Spiegel, oh, yes. yep. on its front cover that Luther was the discoverer of the liberty of conscience. Yes, well, he certainly, he certainly joined justification by faith and liberty of conscience. Um, but others believed in it, like the Waldenses, all of those Protestant, those people. Christ was a Protestant. He 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 did, he believed in liberty of conscience. But if you have uh, any information, like I'd like to get it. Do you know Do you know where the Pope went on uh, last year <laughs> to sign some documents? It was to Sweden. Oh. Yeah. And they had a big, you know, a big table. You know, they're sitting there signing this that they they were in complete agreement, or maybe not complete agreement, but they're studying together. But yeah, the, you know, it's interesting that Sweden was a little insignificant nation during the time of the Reformation, but they accepted the Reformation, and it was those Swedes that came down and delivered Germany, <laughs> the Protestants in Germany. Uh, uh, they came through Denmark, and there were probably some Danish that helped also. But God used the Swedish people to further the, the uh, concept of, of, of the Reformation. And it's sad to see what's happening today. You see, you see the, all these things where people are backtracking. Like, they don't even know what liberty of conscience is. Uh, it's better. But I tell you what, when you're, dealing with, when you're dealing with a hierarchical, whether it's government or church, it's easier to control one individual than to millions of them. See, one of the problems that people have with the United States that we're a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And most Americans are fairly, um, were anyhow, um, they don't, don't like people to tell them what to do, pretty much individuals. And the papacy can't stand that because they believe in the divine right of, right of kings. You control the king, the king has the armies that control the population. And that's what they want to bring us back to. They want to bring us back financially, militarily, and everything like that uh, back to the feudal system in the Dark Ages. And some of our presidents are, were in the past uh, aiming that direction. That's why we need to pray right now, because the Lord may allow this dictatorship to bring this to an end. And uh, we have to pray that we have liberty conscience as long as possible. Yeah, and we will have... Um, one of the reasons that we don't see the problems today is because of us as a people. Yeah. This message must go to the world. Mm -hmm. And in order for it to go to the world, it's more than an intellectual assent. 
it has to be deep within the heart of the individual. Yeah. But it's better to have freedom. Yeah. But we need to remember the enemy uh, will try to take take away from us two things the righteousness of Christ and liberty of conscience. Now, spiritualism will unite the beast and the image and the, or the false prophet and in order to remove uh, that garment. And um, let's, yeah, let's go look at chapter 17. This is the last battle, I think. Well, chapter 19, we see another one, Christ coming as Lord of Lords. But in chapter, chapter 17, here we have the whole world fighting against Christ. Party, let's start with verse 12. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not received a kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. This is the feudal system. These will make war with the lamb, but then we've got the good news. The lamb will overcome them. So here we've got a fighting lamb. Um, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Well, that battle is going to be on the earth against God's people, but the lamb, the characteristics of the lamb are going to overcome all the beasts. Daniel, uh, Daniel 7 and, and chapter 13 of Revelation, these are beasts of prey. They cut and tear and chew. And a simple lamb, those principles of the government of God, is going to overcome all this nonsense. Jerry, that yeah. uh, one hour prophetic time, one hour prophetic time. Oh, I think it did, yeah. I'm not going to get into that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, here's with spiritualism that's that bony fingered cadaver. Spiritualism, this is from their own writing, spiritualism will sweep the world and make it a better place to live. When it rules over all the world, it will banish the blood of Christ. This comes from their own statement. Now, here's another from another book. You, then you do not believe in vicarious atonement. No. Each must work out his own salvation. Each has an equal opportunity to do this. When he shall have atoned for the wrongs and overcome the temptations and allurements to the sense gratifications of eternal life or earthly life. This is their, their and this is what the papacy has, has adopted and many Protestants. Here's another one. Salvation by vicarious atonement is a wicked and soul-destroying delusion. This is right out of their own books. And we're hearing some of the same today. So you got these three beasts. You got the um, one coming out of the ocean, out of the water, and uh, the amalgamated beast of Daniel 7. You have the dragon, which is spiritualism, the devil, government, and then you have the beast, little lamb, with uh, lamb-like horns and speaking like a dragon. By the way, the picture that we have of a bison or a buffalo is not what John is describing. <laughs> have you ever looked at the horns on a bison? <laughs> they're big and they're curved. They do not give the impression of a lamb. But the lamb, they're just little stubs sticking up. Those are the principles of republicanism. We're not talking about the Pope party. Republicanism and what's the other? 
What? Protestantism. Yeah, yeah. Those are the two principles that were established. When they're gone, then the rest go. Now it used to be, and I used to have a bunch of paper, pictures, pictures, I don't know if I still have them anymore, but there are I have pictures of lambs and goats that are represented by early Adventists <laughs> uh, with the, uh, the lamb-like beast rather than the bison. I think maybe the bison, um, the buffalo became the symbol by most Adventists because there were so many of them at one time. Uh, they roamed the plains, maybe back this far east, but uh, the plains states, uh, there were a lot of, millions of them. But anyhow, these, these two will join hands, and then the third one, spiritualism, and they're all designed to take away the faith of Jesus, his righteousness, and uh, liberty of conscience. But we must not allow the enemy to uh, disrobe us. Robus of Christ's righteousness. So the book of Revelation is about our need of the righteousness of Christ, our need of the faith of Jesus. And we have three, three verses. We already mentioned uh, 3, 5, uh, 18 and 4, 14, 12, dealing with the faith of Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 13 is one of the early churches, and uh, <clears throat> this is dealing with uh, the enemy who was trying to take their garments at that time. So it's been, it's been something that's been ongoing. Chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, um, I know your work. Now, this is in Pergamus. Pergamus is down in the, in the depths of the pits of iniquity. I know your works and where you, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. And that word Antipas means anti-pope, anti-papa. And uh, they were killed, and that's where Satan dwells. But God said, even in Pergamos, at the, at the pits, Pergamos and Thyatira were the, the, the pits of, of Christianity, but God still had people within, within them. And so uh, there's going to be that in the last days. Chapter 3, 18 is the message to Laodicea. Chapter 14 is the last people that John saw who had the faith of Jesus, obeyed God's law, and were known for their patience. And these are in contrast with the beast and his image. They're going to be known for, the, uh, instead of patience, what would be the opposite of impatience? <laughs> okay, impatience, yeah. Uh, be against the law of God, they'll have their own man-made law against that. And instead of the faith of Jesus, they'll have presumption and thinking it's the right, it's the right thing. But uh, justification is by the faith of Jesus. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2. And... Uh, I, only a little of the background. Uh, this is Paul's rebuke to Peter, this verse, chapter uh, 2, verse 16. Um, he'd been carried away. Let's begin probably with verse 11. He says, When Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel... Here we have compelled Gentiles uh, 
liberty of conscience is a vis- issue here, to live as the Jews, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, then he says, verse 16, he says, Peter, you know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but justified. But if you have the King James Version, that is true to the original language. I've got the New King James, and it's not, it's not the same, so I'm not going to quote it. I'm going to quote the, the Old King James. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And he goes on, the rest of the chapter is Peter's being rebuked by, by Paul. Yes? Would you like to verbalize for us briefly? Would I what? Would you like to explain for us briefly how you see um, um, Paul says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but Yes. I'll try. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so you got the faith of Jesus, and you got faith in Him. The faith of Jesus is His faith that He exercised while here on earth. That's what justifies us when we believe in Christ. In fact, here I have a. This is a. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're we're going to come to it. Uh, this is a, a poetic structure, and um, it begins with uh, not justified by the works of the law, and then he works inward. We're, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, then the last part of it, not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But, he says, we are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. Then he says, we have believed in Jesus that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. The faith of Christ is his righteousness. It's his mind. Let this mind, yeah, let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus. And, uh, the, and so in the almost all modern translations, including the one I have, they have by the faith in Jesus, we have believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by the faith in Jesus or in Christ. And it doesn't make a lick of sense to read it that way. Because they're two different words. Two, the prepositions are different. Uh, the faith of Jesus, uh, then faith of Christ, the last of Christ is out of Christ because it comes from him. The other one, believed in Jesus, is accurate. It means in, as we believe in him, then God takes the righteousness that he developed in his human flesh and he gives it to us. When we believe in him, were justified by his faith that he exercised while he was on the cross, especially on the cross. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here we see the faith of Jesus spoken first and it spoke twice when he said, my God, my God. Then his feelings spoke, but they spoke last. Why have you forsaken me? But the faith of Jesus, his faith at that time was believing not only only in the absence of feelings, but against them. And so whatever he did, he, he wove a garment of righteousness through his faith in the Father. And that's what he gives to us when we believe in him. He puts it on the inside as well as covers us on the outside. And so we stop trying to be good every day. Well, anyhow, here I'm going to go now. I know, was that clear enough or was clear as mud? It's good. No, it's I'm, I'm really sure. 
uh, first elected messages, and I believe it's on page 80, where Ellen White expresses her personal longing for Christ. She says, uh, in one little short paragraph, she says something like this. I'm paraphrasing, but she says, How I long for the righteousness of Christ, how I long for the grace of Christ, yeah. how I long for the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, she is saying the same thing, mm-hmm. the very same thing in different terms. Mm-hmm. The righteousness yeah. of Christ, the grace of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I have no doubt about it. The Holy Spirit brings the righteousness of Christ into us. But what Christ did us on, on Calvary, that covers us. We, we need both. That's why it says in chapter 16, verse 13, um, watch your garments are not taken from you. So justification has two applications. One is what Christ has done for us and what Christ does in us. There are many people today who say that justification by faith is only legal. I believe it is legal. It, never, it was never a time when it was not legal. But there are some who hang to the idea of a legal justification and they don't care about being changed on the inside. And there's others who want to believe only in uh, a change on the inside and they reject what Christ has done for them 2,000 years ago. That's where the danger. We need both. Now, we legally justify the cross, but as I'm saying it, that lifestyle in us by understanding is Christ in us, all the glory. Yeah. And that would be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Christ is in one place in heaven. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere and he dwells dwells with it, but he brings the righteousness right. of God to us. Did you you oh, no, I guess not. Maybe you had a thought. Okay, okay. We'll go on here. Now I want these are um, I'm not going to look at these. Maybe the first oh verse nine, I think, of chapter one. The rest of these, they're talking either about opposition to liberty of conscience and justification by faith, or they affirm it. And so, uh, whenever there's a denial, uh, you can be assured that there's an affirmation of God <laughs> for the righteousness of Christ. And the other way also, if, uh, if it's denied, then, uh, but it goes both ways. So you got both, both for and against there. But I want to take a look at verse 9, because that was John's experience. <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, I was in Rome a while back, and I, I went to one of his um, one of his prisons. Um, Revelation chapter one and verse nine. <clears throat> get out of Jude and get into Revelation. Verse nine, he said, "I, John." both your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Patmos was the penitentiary at the time. You didn't get out of there alive, (laughs) but John did. But before he went to Patmos, uh, while he was on Patmos, he saw the vision of Christ and the whole book of Revelation that comes to us today. He was a pastor and a teacher in Asia Minor. Of the seven churches, he was kind of over-shepherd of them. And uh, the Roman government hated him. And there was a gov- the, the uh, emperor, uh, pardon me? Yes, just, yeah, just despised him. And yes, yes, worship him as God, exactly. And so here was John saying, you worship God. <laughs> he said, all Christians worship God. And he, this man could not stand it. Um, 
and so they, they decided to get rid of him. Um, I thought I had a, oh yeah, I've, got, I've got, uh, got a picture of the emperor in a little bit, or a statue of him. Uh, they did not believe in liberty of conscience. And of course, they, 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 they made no sense to them justification by faith in Christ. They didn't believe in him. He was, he was killed 70 years before uh, for insurrection. <laughs> so that's what they thought. And so yeah, here's the emperor who uh, he just, he was the one that actually held the trial. Most of the, most of the emperors did if it was in Rome. Um, and so he, he tried to argue with John and he came off second place every time. Why would that be? Yeah. Ellen White says he could not match the power of John's words nor combat the language of which he's arguing. He could not match the power nor combat the logic. Yes. Yes. John was superior. I know. I know. He, and he knew it. He knew that he, he didn't, didn't have a chance with John. Uh oh, here comes the man. Are we? <laughs> well. Wow, wow. Well, we'll have to continue. But <laughs> let me run through this one quickly. Um, pre, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Tertullian wrote about 150, so about 50 years after John had died. And uh, <clears throat> there's a chapel dedicated to the honor of John. And it's uh, located by what they call the Porta Latina or the port of the city, uh, portal, and the Latin gate. Here is a chapel, little chapel that's dedicated to John, called St. John in Oil, seen through this portal. And he had been convicted by preaching Christ as God and that he is worshipped by Christians. And this is what the emperor just hated. So uh, Christ had been crucified 70 years before this. And then John was sentenced to death because he was preaching Christ. Rome wanted to root out the religion of Jesus. They could not do it. And so they were picking on the leaders. Get rid of the leaders, then the rest of the people will go. You know. So John, uh, he was considered a superstitious and rebellious old man and it was time to rid Asia, rid Asia of his presence. So he was sentenced to a cruel death. A huge cauldron of boiling oil, oil was prepared in front of the Latin gate. The sentence ordered that this preacher of Christ must be plunged into that cauldron of boiling oil. And here's a picture as you walk into that little chapel. See John in the, in the tub. And then you go around, you have different pictures. It says, shows that he was um, captured, put in chains, and dragged to the point of execution. And then here he's thrown into the cauldron. And uh, what do you think happened to John? Didn't boil. Didn't boil. Didn't touch him at all. It lost all its heat on John, just like the three, uh, three Hebrews in the, in the fiery furnace. And he felt no pain. So they took him. The very men who put him in had to pull him out. And the king, uh, the emperor, must have been sitting there watching all this. Because <laughs> he, he was sitting on the, uh, one of the pictures showed him sitting with his throne, uh, on the throne with his uh, garland of uh, crown. The enemies of the gospel could not kill him, of John. So they sent him to the penitentiary thinking that he would silence him there. And it was there that John saw Christ and Jesus gave to him the book of Revelation that came to the seven churches and it comes to you and me because of John in the oil. So that's, uh, we better close. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the, for the book of Revelation. Thank you for the concepts that are sticking out all over this book on justification by faith in Christ alone and its consequent, which is liberty of conscience. Keep us by your grace, by your power. Thank you in his name. Amen.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.